How are you guys doing today? It's good to have you. So today uh, we're going to be talking about nations uh, and government, uh, which is kind of interesting. I'm not a history teacher or you know anything like that, but uh, but that's what we're going to talk about. I, I don't plan on getting super political or anything because I'm not really all that political. The main benefit that politics has for me is the comedic material it provides to, to late night. Like, that's what I appreciate about it. Um, but, but I hope today that we'll gain kind of a biblical perspective about nations and, and government. And as, as that song just saying, right, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that he is sovereign over all. And, and when we kind of have this healthy biblical perspective, uh, we're not over-invested in certain means to try to change society. We're, we're invested in, in him, in Jesus, in the, in the gospel as being the primary means through which change happens in the hearts of people. So, so that's what we're talking about today, uh, about nations. It's going to be good. We're in the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 17. Uh, Dan will grab you a Bible if you want. Bam, right there, Dan on the spot. Uh, so if you'd like a Bible, you can follow along. We're in Acts 17, verse 26. Paul is talking. We've already read half of this verse last week. We're taking our time. It's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll just take, a ta- uh, take the time to look at this. But here, here's what Paul says about the God who made us. Uh, and he, that is God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, right? Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. All right, so the first way that I want to take a look at this is, is on the individual level, that God has determined when we will live and where we will live, right? And even in terms of the Garden of Eden, the, the very beginning when God made Adam, right, he placed him in the garden. He gave him a purpose. He designated the time of his lifespan and, and what he would do. And then, then when Eve came along, they had a shared responsibility and a shared purpose that they would accomplish together. And so likewise for us, I want to point out that God planned when you and I would exist, what generation we would be in, right? What places we would live. So if you live in the valley right now, you're where God's called you to be. If God has you move somewhere else, God knew that's where he was going to have you be. And fortunately, God's plan for your life coincides with those times and places, right? That he's, he's planned for us to do good works. He's equipped us for every good work through his word, through his spirit, through the church family that he's given us. And fortunately, the good works that he's called us to do happen to be in the generation we're in and in the places we live, right? It'd be inconvenient if I was called to do something 200 years ago and I lived right now. Like, that wouldn't be helpful for me. So God's got it all figured out. God has a plan for our individual lives, and we can trust him, right, that he set us up for success, that God has us where we are and when we are for his purpose, for his glory, for his reasons, But I want to more broadly analyze this concept because I think that when it talks about uh, that he has determined allotted periods and the boundaries of of their dwelling place, I think that there is is broader than just on the individual basis. I think that there is referring to the nations. And so what I want us to think about is the fact that all of the national boundaries that exist, all of the different governments and nations and kingdoms that have existed, that God is sovereign over that, that God is in charge over all of it. That every nation that exists, he has it as part of his plan where their boundaries are and how long their reign lasts, right? Nations that rise and fall, he, he had that all planned out, and he uses it for his purposes. So God has authority over all the earth. He's in charge of every nation, 
not just uh, the United States, not just Israel, right? but also nations like right, Brazil or Finland or North Korea or Iran. God is sovereign over all of it. So in terms of like when we get super anxious about things, right? when we get worried about maybe what some plans of certain nations might be, we don't have to be super anxious about those things. Right, that God is still good, God is still in control. And God is not just in charge of nations that uh, are trying to honor him. God is also in charge of nations that are deliberately working against his expressed plan. That God uses even their choices for his glory. An example of that is, is uh, in the Old Testament with the story of Exodus. You might remember Moses uh, was upset that the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt. And he goes to Pharaoh and, right, let my people go and all this and that. And Pharaoh hardens his heart. It says that in Exodus chapter 8, that Pharaoh's heart was hardened and that Pharaoh refused to go along with what the expressed plan of God was. But it's interesting that even in Pharaoh's free will, even in all of Pharaoh's choices, he still played directly into the plan that God had, right? God would have desired for Pharaoh to change his heart. To, write, to go along with God's plan, but God was still going to use him in his plan anyway. It says this in Exodus chapter 9, verse 16. But for this purpose, I have raised you up. This is God speaking to Moses about Pharaoh, right? To show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. That even Pharaoh making the decision to harden his own heart, God is like, listen, I'm still going to use you for my glory. You're actually going to help me make my name famous and people will know who I am as a result of your decisions, even though you're deliberately working against my express plan. Right? So, so God's sovereign, even in situations where nations might be working against him or where people might be opposed to him. In Exodus 14, God said this about Pharaoh's heart. So Pharaoh made the initial decision to harden his heart. And then God's like, listen, this guy in his free will, he's already made up his mind. I'm just going to like amp it up a little bit. This is what God says, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, right, the Israelites that were escaping, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his army, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, and they did so. Pharaoh hardened his heart, the, the armies of Pharaoh pursued the, Egypt, uh, the Israelites, and God demonstrated his glory over them, right? So even if someone's opposed to God, even if a, an entire nation is opposed to God, God still uses that for his overall good, his overall benefit, his overall glory, and uses it as a means to, to make himself known to the people that he loves, which does include those nations that are opposed to him, just so you're aware. So regardless of whether a generation is trying to serve God or not, or if they're absolutely opposed to him, God is still sovereign in those situations, right? God is still in control. So, so here, in terms of our, our perspective of nations, because we want to have, like, the God perspective about it, right? We don't want to have all of this anxiety or all of this tension of, man, if, if this doesn't happen or if this nation does that, what's going to go on? Like, what, do I need to be worried about this? You know, do I need to be storing up food in my basement in case something happens? Like, we don't have to worry about those things, all right? Our, our hope does not lie in any particular nation. Our hope in God accomplishing his plan does not lie in America doing one thing or another, or Iran doing one thing or another, or Israel doing one thing or another. God will still accomplish his plan regardless. So I don't have to place all of my hope and all of my energy and all of my anxiety being based on whether or not one nation does one thing or another. 
It's not, it's not about that. Our hope is not in a nation. So, so a nation, whether it's in, in the right or wrong before God, does not determine whether or not God will accomplish his plan. Right? Obviously, there are blessings for nations that do things God's way. But even when not, like, it doesn't actually factor into the human heart. It doesn't factor into the individual's lives on whether or not they can obey God and do what God's called them to do. An example of a, of a prime example of a nation that you would think would have it perfectly right is the nation of Israel. In the Old Testament, right, God actually started this nation. God gave them their laws. And even in this, they had, right, good kings and then lots of evil kings. And then sometimes a good king and then lots of evil kings. Or, or consider the Pharisees in the day of Jesus, right? They had the, the right nation. They had the right book. They had the right God. But they had the wrong heart. Even though all of these outward things were correct, they still missed their Messiah. They still missed out. So even though they had all of these things working for them, their nation or whatever their status was didn't determine whether or not they were able to effectively obey God. Whether it was all in their heart. It was in their heart decision. Or, or consider this. The, I don't know if you guys know who Daniel is in the Old Testament. There's 12 chapters. It's a small book in the Old Testament. But Daniel is one of these, these kids that in a time of exile for the nation of Israel, right, that these armies came in, kind of destroyed Israel, and, and they take a handful of people back to Babylon. And Daniel lived in this, this pagan society for most of his life. And, and in this society, right, he was mandated to, to learn at their pagan schools and to, to be amidst this culture that was completely opposed to God, right? They had just attacked God's people and significantly decimated them. And, and that, that in this situation, Daniel experienced God's favor. Daniel was still able to do the things that God called him to do. And Daniel lived in a culture where it was actually illegal to pray to God at one point. And Daniel's like, well, I'm still going to pray to God. It doesn't matter if it's illegal or not. It was actually illegal to worship only God at that point. You had to worship the, the king, right? And, and Daniel and his friends were like, well, we're going to worship God. So regardless of what the laws of the nation are, regardless of what situation you're in, whether they agree with God or not, we can still obey God. That we're not held back based on what the nation might say or based on what a nation might be. So, so we don't place our hope in a nation, right? The hope for changing the world is not in, I hope America does this well enough that people will change and then know God, right? right? That's not our hope. Our hope is also not in an individual, all right? It's not in a human person. It's not in a, a particular politician or a leader, our, we don't place our hope in someone to like, that's going to be the person that's going to change everything for the better. That's not where we place our hope. We place our hope in, in Jesus. Okay, but, but as a point, as an example, right back in Israel that God founded, that, that the people actually, they didn't like the current setup that God had. And at one point in, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, they go to Samuel the prophet and they're like, listen, we don't want God's current government setup. Like, we just want to have a king like everybody else. Can't we just have a king? Like, then that person will be the one to, like, judge us and lead our armies and be the one that's in charge of everything. Like, we just want to be like all the other nations. Like, we're not interested in God being, you know, in charge of us like that anymore. And, and God actually identified that as a moment in which they rejected him. Right? We, we don't need to place our hope in some particular politician, right? I mean, even within the church, our hope is not on me. Like, we don't place our hope on a human being. 
We place our hope in Jesus. The gospel is the thing that changes hearts. The gospel is the thing that makes us different, right? That it's God's word planted in our hearts that, that produces change in us and in people. So we don't, we don't like put all of our eggs in the basket of like, well, if this person just got voted in, I think that would change the world. I think people would then know God and come to Jesus. That's not, not the case, right? Good things can be done when, when good people are elected to office, but that's not where we place our hope. That's not the emphasis that Jesus has us focus on. Or, or consider this. We don't even place our hope in particular legislation. Our hope is not in particular laws being passed. The law of the land is not the thing that we place our trust in as being the thing that's going to change society, that, that's going to change people at the heart level. Okay, that, that's not the thing. Because, because let me point this out. God's law, God's perfect law, is insufficient to change the human heart. And if God's law, in its perfection, cannot change a human heart, then no law of man can suddenly change the hearts of men. Like, there's no way that that happens. That's not the way that it works. Okay? So check this out. In terms of God's law, I don't have these verses up on the screen, but Galatians 2.21, it says that keeping the law cannot make us right with God. Or Galatians 3.21, if the law could give us new life, then we could be made right with God by obeying it. The law is not the means to which we experience change. Making a law saying that, you know, sin is illegal will not suddenly change sinners. Okay, the law, the way that God's designed it, it's, it's diagnostic. It points out the fact that we are sinners and that we need a Savior, that we need to be forgiven. That's the purpose of the law, right? That it, it points that need out to us. In, in, in uh, John Gill's Exposition of the Bible, it's one of these Bible commentaries, this is what he talked about the law. He says, The law cannot restrain from sin, nor change sinful nature, nor sanctify an impure heart, nor free from the guilt of sin, nor comfort a distressed mind under the sense of it. It cannot, bring, uh, cannot subject persons, or it cannot bring them before God. It cannot give life or save from death. The law doesn't do that. Even God's perfect law does not accomplish that. Okay, so, so that's why we don't place our hope in, like, maybe if we could just get some laws passed, then, then like, people will be good people. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't accomplish that. Obviously, it's beneficial that there's order in society, right? But that, it, doesn't, it doesn't accomplish that. It can't change people. And even if we were able to somehow, like, found a nation or make a nation that had perfect law, that absolutely honored God, people still sin. Right? I mean, think about the Garden of Eden. God had set up a perfect environment and first generation. Generation one, we sinned. Like, we're, we don't have a good track record there, okay? Like, law is not the thing that produces change in us, right? So God gave us law so that we can know what is right, that we can know when we are guilty, that we can know that we need a Savior. But, but obligating those who do not serve God, who are still slaves of sin, right, to hold what God's, God commands, it won't actually produce any change. It won't actually produce change in people if, if we just say, hey, let's just, you know, establish God's law here. That's not going to do it. And regardless of the law of the land, okay, because I don't think there's ever been a society that's right, established perfect law anyway, but regardless of the law of the land, whether it agrees with God or not, all people are still held accountable to God's law. We're all still held accountable to God's standard. Okay, that, that regardless of what happens, it, it says this in, in Proverbs eleven twenty one, in the King James Version. It says, though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished. 
but the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. Right? That even if like an entire nation says, God, we're not going to do things your way. We're going to join hands on this matter. All of us are together. That those people still can be rightly judged by God. Okay? Even, even in the nation uh, in Jesus' day, right? It was a Roman rule over the nation of Israel. That, uh, that John the Baptist actually spoke against uh, Herod Antipas. He was like the ruler in Jerusalem at that time. And he said, listen, what you're doing is against the law because he was doing some sexual sin where he like married his niece and brother's wife at the same time. It was kind of like messed up. And John the Baptist is like, your, your behavior is against the law. That wasn't against the law of the land. That was against God's law. And yet he's telling this, this Roman, this pagan, saying like, listen, like, that's, not, that's not right. That's against the law. And so, so all people, regardless of what the law of the land says, are accountable to doing things, right, and to doing things God's way. That's God's standard. But I would point out that there are blessings on a nation when we do things God's way. All right, the benefit when a nation does things God's way, it's not like God's like, oh man, I was really worried there. Like not enough people believe in me. It's not like God's like Tinkerbell and needs us to like clap to keep him alive, right? Like God, God is sovereign and exists and lives regardless of how many people believe in him or regardless of what nations serve him or not, right? That God is still in charge, and, and the, the, the difficulty is that when, when a nation turns its back on God, it's not like we some, somehow like hurt God in some way. It's that we would hurt ourselves. All right? the, the ones that are at a loss are, are the nation that would turn against God. All right? That we step outside of God's blessing. Right? That we lose his protection in some ways or the, the benefits that he would have us. And, and the only way it does hurt God is that it grieves him that he misses out on relationship with people that he loves. Like, that's the grief that he experiences, but it's not like it hurts who he is somehow. You know, it's not like we can, like, well, let's vote for a different God this year. Like, let's get a different God in position. Like, no, no, no. Like, he's still God, regardless whether people like him or not, right? He's still God. So, so okay, so, so that's just kind of some, like, broad view and understanding of, like, biblically, we don't place our hope in all of those things. That God's success does not depend on how well nations serve him or politicians serve him or, right, or what laws are established in agreement with him or not. Right? That's not how God's going to succeed. He's going to succeed regardless. But what about us? What, what does God want us to do in, in regards to like government or nations? Because interestingly enough, God actually, God actually helps set up nations, which is weird. Okay, this is, this is kind of a weird thing. But, but let, let me read this passage from Romans 13. I've got it up on the screen, and I'm going to just read through all of these verses, and then we'll, we'll take a look at some of these thoughts ind- individually here. And uh, Paul's writing to the church in Rome. Uh, the Roman Empire is not a godly nation, okay? They're, eventually, they start persecuting Christians like crazy and killing them and all sorts of different things. They're not somehow a moral nation. They were doing all sorts of evil things. Uh, but this is what God writes to people that are part of the Roman Empire, He says, let every person be subject to governing authorities. Like, that's not a memory verse that I think you're going to put on your fridge or a bumper sticker. Like, yeah, here we go. Like, I'm excited about this. Uh, Let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. That's kind of weird. We'll take a look at that in a moment. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Like, this is weird, right? Like, I mean, so like, even like evil rulers... Even like wicked nations have been instituted by God. This is weird. 
Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Okay? For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive approval. For he, that is the one who's in authority, is, is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, then be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, right? So God's established them as some means of justice on the earth. For he is the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Here we go. There's another good memory verse. Let's pay taxes, right? For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing, that they're meant to serve us, right? And let's see, verse 7. Pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. All right, so like that's probably not a passage from the Bible that we're super excited about. I don't think that's something that, right, we'd be passionate about. Like, we need to respect authority better. Like, that's not a rallying cause for us in our, our own nature. But here, here's some of the ideas that, that came from that. Authority comes from God. All authority comes from God. And, and here, here's a, a quote from uh, this guy, Pastor Brian Richard uh, from Gardner, Massachusetts. He says that, that all authority is from God, but not all authority is godly. Right? That doesn't somehow indicate that they're like doing the right thing. It's just that temporarily God is allowing them to be in charge. Right? Even like the Pharaoh example that we had earlier. And that God's using them for his glory. E- even Jesus actually agrees with this, just so you're aware. Jesus uh, verified this thought that all authority is, is from God the day he was put to death while talking to the authority that put him to death. It it says this in John 19, verses 10 and 11. I do have that on the screen. It says, so Pilate, you might remember Pontius Pilate. He's the guy that, you know, like was the Roman governor at the time. And and Pilate said to Jesus during an interrogation, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? It's like this guy thought pretty highly of himself. He was in charge and that was the authority that he'd been given. And check out verse 11. This is where Jesus' trust was in the midst of an ungodly nation, in front of an ungodly ruler who that day was going to put him to death. This is what Jesus said. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. So Jesus is like, listen, like you're having that authority right now only exists because God allowed you to have it. I'm still subject to God's authority. Like, God is still in charge of this whole situation. Regardless of what happens, I can still do what God's called me to do. Like, the, only, the power you have is you only have it because God's letting you have that. And I'm going to submit to the authority that God has. Right? That, that's what Jesus was able to do. So he was able to recognize that God the Father was still in control of the situation, even in the presence of this, you know, ungodly ruler. Right? So... So that's, that's what we see. Jesus kind of verified this same thing, right? Uh, this passage in Romans, it said that those that exist uh, do so because God allows them, that God's the one that sets up governments or authorities, that they are servants of God for our good. 
That God is, is using them for his glory and he's using them to reward those who do what's right when it's working well, right? That's the plan, that they're supposed to be doing that, okay? And then this is interesting. They actually are meant to carry out God's wrath on wrongdoers, right? The value of law, the value of this structure and order is there that, right, when, when we oppose, when we do what's wrong, when I'm, right, stealing, murdering, killing, raping, whatever, which I'm not doing those things or planning on doing those things, just so you're aware, it's not on my agenda. Um, that judgment that would come against someone who does those things is not just judgment from the nation, but that's also God's wrath for those things being done. Those are consequences that God is kind of allowing that nation to bring about. That, that God is the one that's using them, right, as a means to uh, deliver justice, to punish the wrongdoer. And, and in terms of uh, justice being served in a nation, oftentimes, like, we, uh, we get upset when an innocent person is, is wrongly punished, right? That, that's injustice. God agrees with that. That is uh, an abomination to him, it says in the Bible. But that's not the only kind of injustice that God uh, gets upset about. This is also interesting. It says this in Proverbs 17, verse 15. He who justifies the wicked... And he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Right? So God's actually also upset when the wrongdoer goes unpunished. When there aren't consequences for wrong actions. Right? When someone gets away with murder, God's not happy about that the same way that we aren't happy when an innocent person is, is wrongly punished. And then also uh, Paul said that we are supposed to pay taxes uh, in that passage from Romans. So just so you're aware, we should pay taxes. Uh, Jesus also said this. Uh, you can go study it on in your own time if you really want, but like I said, I don't think it's going to be a memory verse that you guys are excited about. Um, and that, I don't think we're even teaching that in Sunday school today. Like, hey kids, you've got to pay your taxes, remember. But, uh, but here, so, so what is God's desire for governments? Like, so, so this is what God wants us to do in relation to any authority that we happen to be under in the time being. But what is God's desire for governments? Uh, Paul actually outlines this in 1 Timothy 2, uh, verses 1 to 3. And this kind of hits us and them at the same time. It says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Okay, so we're supposed to be praying for everybody. Verse 2, for kings and all who are in high positions. So we should be praying for any leaders that we have in our nations. And this is what he wants us to pray for. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. And verse 4 is just so awesome. In case you didn't know the heart of God, in case you don't know this God who loves you so much. This is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So just on that verse 4, let me point out, uh, God doesn't want anyone to go to hell at all. Right? That, that's God's heart right there. Uh, he desires all people to be saved. He wants relationship with all people, and he put his life uh, on the line to make that point clear. Right? He died for everyone. That's what his desire is, and unfortunately, people don't go along with that. They don't pursue that relationship that God offers. But, but in this passage, this is what we saw, that we're supposed to pray for our governments, to ask, to pray, to intercede Right, which means to represent them before God, like God on their behalf, like we repent when we're, when we're wrong, uh, and, and to be thankful when they do what's right, that we should be praying for political leaders. Okay? And it says that we should pray for a nation where we can live 
peacefully. That's the kind of nation that God desires. That's the sort of government that God wants, one that allows its people to live in peace. Okay? To live quietly. That we, right? uh, elsewhere in the Bible it talks about that we can do our, do our work you know, with our hands quietly, that we're not you know, running around having a chat about everything. Uh, that we can live godly lives. Right? That hopefully we live in a nation where doing what's right, doing the godly thing, is permissible. And just so you're aware, any time that it's illegal to do the godly thing, we submit to God's authority rather than the nation's authority. And there's examples throughout the Bible of that happening, and it's the right thing to do. We resist a nation that doesn't allow us to do the godly thing. Okay? Uh, the apostles did that as well. And that we as a people could live with, with dignity. Right? That people in that nation would be valuable. They would be seen as being made in the image of God. That they would not be uh, subhuman. They would not be uh, viewed as less than others. That there would be dignity given to, to all people. And so this is what God desires for nations. Now obviously that is not what we're seeing if we kind of took a poll of most nations across the world. They are not doing those things. Right? That's not necessarily the case. But that's what God wants us to pray for those things to happen. To, to pursue Him. To pray on their behalf. And then when we aren't in one of those places, right, we can still do what's right regardless. We can still be a light to the world. So, that, so that's my next question. What do we do in a secular society? What do we do in a society that's opposed to God, perhaps? Right? If, if we were growing up in any nation, right? I mean, don't just think about the United States, but if you were growing up in North Korea, right? If you did live in Iran, where it's illegal to convert to Christianity, what, what do we do in those situations? What is God's desire for us? Uh, and, and here's some things that I would suggest. Share Jesus with other people. That's what we're supposed to be doing, just so you're aware. Uh, to be a light to the world. And, and actually, this is an area where uh, we don't have to become all pessimistic when we're like, man, the world is getting worse and worse. Have you read the newspaper? Have, have you watched TV lately? Like, have you seen the news? Like, this place is just getting worse and worse. That we don't have to be pessimistic about that. Okay, because uh, Jesus, when talking about the end times, he says, listen, when, when these things start to happen, look up because your redemption draws nigh, right? We have hope. We have the joy of knowing that God is, is coming back for us, right? That, that we don't have to be devastated when we see kind of the world going to hell in a handbasket. We don't have to be pessimistic about that situation. And, and in fact, I actually, I would rather live in a generation, all right? in which the world is opposed to God. Because in terms of being a light to the world, there's a greater contrast between that light and that darkness. Right? It's just, it's more apparent. Like, when you live your life before God in conduct that's in step with the gospel, that there's a greater contrast. Right? When, when we live in a world where everyone's like, no, we're all pretty good people, like, it's kind of harder for them to know their need for a savior when it's like, no, we're, we're a really great society. We're all good people. Uh, that when there's this contrast, it's actually, I think, almost more valuable uh, to be a light to the world in that situation. Uh, when we have people that are our enemies, when they're opposed to us, Jesus said to pray for our enemies. So if we live in a society that's opposed to God or the things that Christians are called to do, we pray for them. And Jesus actually said that when we're persecuted, that we're blessed. That the more we get persecuted, the more blessed we are when we are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for doing the right thing when people are opposed to us. Uh, that we should do good, right? That we should actually be out in the world doing good amongst our society, right? That our good works would be seen before men and they should glorify our God in heaven. 
Right? That's what we should do when we're living in a secular society or a society that's opposed to God. And I'll go beyond just saying do good because sometimes we think that that doesn't include this, of we should not be practicing sin. Okay? Uh, so don't just try to do the positive. Also, like, don't do the wrong. Don't practice sin. <clears throat> because the Bible says that we should be in the world, but not of the world. Right? That the world should not be in us. Or, or it says this in James chapter 1, that perfect or pure and undefiled religion is to care for orphans and widows in their time of need. Right? Our society would probably be behind that. Like, yeah, that's, that's my religion. I'm just out here to do good, and that's it. But James goes on, he says, and to remain unstained from the world. Right? Are, are we as believers getting muddy with society? Are, are we stained by sin? Right? Are, are we just like have no contrast with the world now because we're practicing the same things they are? Right? Not to say that we don't fall into sin, but hopefully we're not aiming for it. Right? Hopefully we're not intending to do those things. Right? So uh, we should also pursue justice when we're in a society that is opposed to God. Right? That God actually, in, in uh, I think it's Isaiah 58, he talks about his people are praying and fasting. And he says, listen, like, I don't even want to hear your prayers because you're, you're not doing anything for the sake of justice. You don't care about those who are oppressed workers. You don't care about the widows and the orphans. You're not doing anything for these people. Like, I'm, I can't even hear your prayers even though you're trying so hard to impress me. Right? So even something like prayer and fasting, it doesn't like somehow impress God or get his attention if we're ignoring matters of injustice left and right. And the last thing I would say about in terms of living in a secular society is to invest in our community. All right, this is kind of a cool thing in, in terms, because I mentioned the exile of Israel a couple times. When Israel was attacked by these other nations and they're taken to these other right societies, most of their population has been killed and a handful of them are now living in exile in these foreign nations. God speaks a word of hope to those people, the people that are left. Like, what are we supposed to do? Like, has God failed us? Like, have we failed God? What happened? Right? All of us are killed. The temple's been destroyed. What are we supposed to do? Like, how do we serve God? And the word of hope that God gave them through the prophet Jeremiah in, in verse 29, uh, chapter 29, verses 5 and 7, he tells this to these people that are living in exile in an ungodly nation. He says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives, not plurally for a single person, just so you're aware, uh, and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. So when you're living in this ungodly nation, continue to raise your family. Continue to live life, right? Don't just like hunker down and hide, but continue to invest. And check this out, verse seven. This is, this is so cool. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. But God, this is a pagan nation. This is a nation that's opposed to you. This nation just killed most of your people. And you want us to pray for them? You want us to invest in this city? You want us to, to pour our lives out into this city? Yeah, that's what he says. And he says this, For in its welfare you will find your welfare. So when we live in whatever city God's called you to live in, invest in that community. God wants us to pray on behalf of that community, right? I mean, like in terms of like Wilmington here, I moved in the day before Hurricane Irene hit, so I didn't get to see Wilmington operating at full steam when it was thriving. 
but it's been awesome to see it recover. Right? It's been awesome to kind of like see this construction and see these businesses reopen. That's something that God wants us to pursue for our community. Right? To see things thriving. We want to invest in our community and so people know that we are about them. We are for their city. We are for their, their community. Right? We're not just like, no, we're just going to be here and we'll just ignore all, your, all you guys. We'll just do our own thing. No, no, no. We want to invest in our community and pray to the Lord on its behalf. And what's interesting is as the worship team's coming up, that God said about that community, he says, to, to seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. God was the one that sent them there. And just like God has designated, right, the times and boundaries for nations, he's designated the place for you to live. Right, God plans on you being where you are when you're there. And he has a purpose for you there. Right? So invest where you are. Be godly where you are. And in, in terms of, of the Great Commission, okay, this is the last verse I'll have put up on the screen. Matthew 28. These are the final words that Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. Right? And he's like, all right, it's on you guys. The Holy Spirit will come, but then you guys figure it out from here. Right? This is what he told them to do. And this is also where we get our mission statement. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So our hope is not in some earthly authority. Our hope is in Jesus, who has authority over all of heaven and all of earth. He's the one that we submit to. He's the one that our hope is placed in. And what's interesting here, I'll point out, notice he didn't tell the disciples to go and make nations that obey God. Their, their focus and their effort wasn't in, let's see how many nations we can make where they pass laws that are godly. Let's see how many nations we can make where it's illegal to sin, where they have to serve God. That's not what he told them to do. right? He, that's not what we're trying to do. We don't want to make a society where it's just illegal to sin. We don't need to fight to make a nation that somehow honors God. Because regardless of if it does or not, God will be glorified. And even if, let's say we succeeded at that. Let's say we somehow made the United States this godly nation in every way. The United States is only 322 million people. It's 4.45% of the world. We don't want to spend all of our effort in trying to make the U.S. look godly on the outside... Because Jesus said, go into all the world. Right? It's, it's all of the world. It's all the nations that we're pursuing. And it, we're not trying to make those nations godly. We're trying to make disciples of those nations. It's the people within them that need Jesus. It's the people within them that change one person at a time. That God's word produces that change. And it's those people that we want to see encounter Jesus. And then they're the ones that Jesus said, right, as we make disciples to teach them to obey all that he's commanded. Right? We don't have to teach nations to obey God. We're teaching the disciples, those who are becoming followers of Jesus, to obey God. So we need to honor God by ensuring that the people of a nation know the God who loves them and gave his life for them. That's what we need to focus on. That's what we need to focus on. So let's pray real quick, guys, before we go into our last couple songs. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much 
that you are in charge of everything. Uh, because, God, we would be devastated. Uh, we would be full of worry and anxiety if what was happening on the earth was a reflection of what happens in your kingdom. We thank you that the kingdom of God goes forth. We thank you that your kingdom is at hand. It's within arm's reach of all of us. That we can experience you being sovereign over our lives. We can submit and yield to your authority and make you Lord of our lives. I thank you, God, that we can place our hope and trust in you, that we do not need to despair as things get darker, but we can look up because our redemption draws near. Lord, we pray right now on behalf of our community. God, we pray and lift up the leaders of this community and ask that, Lord, you would bless them, that you would be at work in their lives, that you would bring change in our community at the heart level, at the, the, the level of individuals, God. Lord, we thank you for our community that we get to live with such tremendous freedom, that we get to pursue you and seek you freely, that we can enjoy your word and even proclaim truth without fear of persecution. And God, we thank you and we pray that, Lord, we would be able to continue to live in a nation and that you would continue to turn the hearts of people that we could live in a nation that allows us to live in peace, that allows us to live quiet and godly lives with dignity. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.